This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. And our lesson today is titled, God Chooses David. And that comes from 1 Samuel 16, 1-13. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can call us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salary or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Now, Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Also, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Or catch us over on iTunes. Go to the podcast section and search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. Well, last week we ended with Saul being rejected as king. If you remember, God spoke to Samuel and Samuel went to Saul and he told him that you're to go take care of the Amalekites. You're to wipe them out. No man, no woman, no child, no livestock should be left from the Amalekites. Wipe them off the face of the earth. But Saul didn't do that. Saul and his men left the king and they took the best livestock. And we found that partial obedience is still disobedience. How many times has God told you to do something and you didn't do it completely? You only did it in part. Well, when you did that, you were being disobedient to God. And we saw that the sin, because he did not obey him, grieved God. And we learned that sin grieves God. When we sin, it grieves God. So Samuel goes to confront Saul. What happens? He finds that Saul's built a statue. And we studied how pride comes before the fall. How when we get prideful, when we start relying on ourselves, then we fall. And that's what happened to Saul. He started off so well as king. But over time, he became self-reliant. He got to where he didn't depend on God. And what happened? He made decisions in his own mind and in his own way. And because he was partially obedient to what God told him, he was being disobedient. And so he fell from being king. And we saw that at the end, that God rejected him as king. God said it saddened him that he had chosen him to be king. And when Samuel finally finds him, Saul justifies his sin. Sin can't be justified. But Saul is justifying in his mind. He's saying, I obeyed the the word of the Lord. I went down there. I battled him. I won. Samuel calls him out. He says, well, if that's the case, then why do I hear the bleeping of sheep? Why do I hear the moos of cows? At that point, Saul says, well, it wasn't me. It was my men. They wanted to keep the best of the livestock so we could make an offering. And one of the most famous verses right here out of chapter 15 comes up and he says that the Lord would rather you obey than to sacrifice. What Samuel's saying and what we can learn from that is better to obey God than to be religious, to follow some motion. And Saul says, well, hey, let's go do a sacrifice. And Samuel says, no, 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 no. 
I don't want to sacrifice one of these animals that you have because it's against what God said. That's what we do. A lot of times we say, I'll just go to church more. I'll read my Bible more. We'll get into more of the religion part of, of worshiping God instead of actually worshiping God and repenting of our sin. And then we saw when you rebel against God, when you reject God's word, that it is nothing but witchcraft. That's what the Bible says right here. It says that you disobeying God's word was witchcraft. That's what Samuel tells Saul right here in this chapter. And the consequences of that is long and painful because he's now lost his heritage to be king. Today, we're going to pick back up. We're going to see the new king. Right here in chapter 15, we saw the second time where Samuel said, God has already picked another and he's a man after his own heart. Well, today we're going to meet a boy that is the man after God's own heart, David. With that said, let's jump right in. Turn with me over to 1 Samuel 16. We'll start in verse 1 and I'll be reading out of the ESV. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. And we'll stop right there for now. So well, the first thing I want you to see out of these verses is Samuel's heart for God. And God asked him, how long will you mourn for Saul? There is a time to mourn, but there's also a time to move on. And God tells him to fill his horn with oil. Now, that must have been exciting for Samuel because he knew that God wanted him to go anoint someone else, a new king over Israel. Even though he was sorrowful and he knew what Saul had done and he knew the potential that Saul had, this being used by God again, right in his old age, to go anoint the next king, the man after God's own heart, had to be exciting for him. But I also wonder if Samuel thought like, Will he be like Saul? Will he start off strong and then slowly fall on his own strength? Will he let his pride get in the way and will he be disobedient? But anyhow, we see right here in the very first verse that God asked him, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Get your horn ready and let's go anoint someone else. Now, this doesn't mean that Saul isn't going to be king. As a matter of fact, Saul remains king for several years after this. Quite a few years, as a matter of fact. And during that whole time, he remained stubborn and unrepentant as ever. But I want you to understand, because God anoints someone else, Saul's days are numbered. Anyhow, we see Samuel's grief over sin. We see his heart. But then we also see that Samuel obeys God even when it's dangerous. What does he say to God? He said, I can't go. What if Saul finds out? He will surely kill me. Now, if that's not danger, I don't know what is. Samuel knew that Saul had a temper. And him going to Bethlehem to anoint a new king was a risky proposition. If Saul heard about it, he would surely kill Samuel. So Samuel took his concern to the Lord. When something concerns you, you should take it to the Lord. You need to be where you trust God, even in danger. When we're in danger, when we don't see a way out, we always should turn to the Lord. And that's what Samuel shows us right here. He prayed about it. He gave it to God. And guess what? God gave him a plan. 
He says, take a heifer with you when you go to Bethlehem. In the book of Psalms, we can see where the psalmist wrote about this. In Psalms 118, verses 5 and 6, it says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If you've made Jesus Lord of your life, and you've given all your heart to him, then you will trust him even in danger. And who can stand against you if God is on your side? And then look what happened. Look back at verse 1 with me. He says, Fill your horn with oil and go and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, or I'll send you to Bethlehem, because I have provided myself a king among his sons. And then we talked about him taking the heifer and how he was worried. And he said, Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. There's a couple of things I want you to pick up on right here in this section. And first of all is that the sons of Jesse had been around longer than Saul had been king. That means that God knew that he was going to have a king out of this family, out of Bethlehem. The Bible tells us that a king will come out of Bethlehem. It's a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ will come out of Bethlehem. But he knew ahead of time, and he says, I want you to go to Jesse's, the house of Jesse. In God's sovereign knowledge, what did he do? He gave the people of Israel what they wanted, a king that they chose, and that was Saul. But the whole time, he's building up a man after his own heart, a man that he wants to step up. The sovereignty of God, the hand of God is working in the background, even though the nation of Israel don't understand it. Even though we as human beings don't understand it and don't see it sometimes, God is working in your life just like he did right here, providing someone to step in just when you needed it, just when the nation of Israel needed it. We have a son that is going to be a king, and we're going to see how he is brought into the royal family. But God tells him, I want you to anoint for me the one I named to you. Again, the first anointing was for the people. Saul was the king for the people. But now the Lord says, it is time for a king for me, not for the people, for me. God was going to show Israel his king. So look what Samuel does. He obeys God. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me real quick. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling and saying, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. No surprise right here that Samuel does what the Lord says. And he goes to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was a small town. It's not very far from Jerusalem, but it was the home of Ruth and Boaz. From them came Jesse. He was the descendants of them. Now, this was a hilly countryside. It was a region of the area that was known for its grain growing. And if you go back and study about Boaz and Ruth, you'll see that they harvested the small fields of grain and they were carved out along the hillsides. But what do we see? We see the elders come and they're trembling and they say, do you come peacefully? Now consider what had happened in chapter 15 where Samuel had just cut down the king of the Malachites. It's no wonder that the elders of Bethlehem were afraid. But he calms them down. He says, look, Come with me to the sacrifice. But the word tells us right here that there was more to it than just the sacrifice. The idea was not that Jesse and his sons were just to watch Samuel sacrifice this heifer. 
this would also be the sacrifice that they would watch, and then they would share in a large ceremonial meal. Now, for you Old Testament scholars and those that study the word, you understand that when an animal was sacrificed for atonement, atonement for sin, then none of it was eaten. It was burned before the Lord. But when an animal was sacrificed as a peace offering or a fellowship offering or a consecration offering, then part of the animal was burnt before the Lord and then part was eaten in a special ceremonial meal. And that's what's going to happen here. There's going to be a special ceremonial meal that Jesse and his boys will eat with them. So we've seen Samuel's grief over the sin and over Saul being rejected. We've seen Samuel obey God even in danger. And now we want to see God's selection for this new king. What's God's selection process? Look at verses 6 through 10 with me real quick. When they came, he looked at Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. This is really a fun scene. This is a funny scene almost, right? Because Jesse arrives at the sacrifice with his seven sons. One by one, they pass before Samuel. Each time, God tells Samuel, Nope, I've not chosen this one. Nope, not that one either. Each time, Samuel must have thought, Perhaps it's this one. Maybe it's that one. Especially when he gets to the last son, number seven. He's like, Well, by a process of elimination, it's got to be this one. No, all seven sons passed before Samuel, and God hasn't chosen one of them. It reminds me when we used to play Sandlot football. You know, again, we would pick folks by the size of them. We would pick the guys that were tall and strong. And you know what? A lot of times I wasn't very tall. I wasn't very strong. I was fast, but I would get picked towards the end. But at least I did get picked. It made me still feel special that I was picked. But yet right here, Samuel doesn't get to pick any of the seven. What are the seven sons thinking of as he's passing before him? What is Jesse thinking as each pass? And he goes, nope, nope, nope. But in this section, we see one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. It's 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, where he says, God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside. He looks at the heart. The first son that came, Elib, was the oldest, and Samuel was immediately impressed by his physical appearance. You know, he was bigger, taller, and stronger than the rest. And God mentions that right there in verse 7. But he says that, nope, this is not it. That's how they pick Saul. Remember back when they picked Saul, he was a head above all the others. He was taller than everyone. He was bigger than everyone. But here we see that God tells them, no. I don't pick from the physical appearance. I look at the heart. If you turn over the book of Matthew, in Matthew 5, you see the Sermon on the Mount. And right there in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. As we read these whole Beatitudes, it seems like Jesus is turning all our attitude upside down. We don't naturally think this way. But that's because God doesn't think the way we think. God doesn't look at what we look at. As a matter of fact, when you turn to Isaiah 55, it says in verses 8 and 9 that, 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. God doesn't think and see the way we do. Sometimes we don't understand God because we're trying to do it in our own mind, in our own sight, and we need God's sight. We need God's mind to understand what he's really doing. Some of you listening to me right now may be going, duh, Tim, I know this. I know you can't look at the outward. Well, be careful. Don't be so self-righteous. Don't be so proud that you think you know everything. Here's Samuel, the man that God is speaking directly to. He's a prophet for God. And what did he do? He looked at the outward side. Even Samuel's guilty of looking at man's outward appearance. The other thing I want you to understand, when we look at the outward appearance, we look at the way the world looks at it. One of the biggest things that God tells us we should have no other gods before them. Guess what the world? The world is full of idolatry. And idolatry is when we look at something and we worship that and when we take and put it on a pedestal. And that's what happens with a lot of what we see in the world today. We put movie stars on pedestal. We look at football players. We look at baseball players. We look at sports and athletes and we put them on a pedestal. Be careful that you aren't being trapped by the world and looking at the outward appearance. So all seven sons have come by. None have been chosen. That's what it says. The Lord has not chosen these. So what does Samuel do? He asked Jesse, is there a son that's not here? There must be because God has not chosen one of the seven. Look at verse 11 with me real quick. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And Samuel asked, is there another son? And Jesse says, yes, I have my youngest son, David, the youngest brother, the baby brother, the run of the litter. He's out watching the sheep. He's overlooked. He's unnoticed. He's discounted. He's just like 12 or 13 years old. And even his father thought he was too young and insignificant to be invited to this feast. He was certainly an unlikely candidate for whatever Samuel was looking for. You know, it's a common theme in the scripture that God chooses the younger brother over the older. God chose Abel over Cain, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, Joseph over his brothers, Ephraim over Manasseh, Moses over Aaron. But God chose David not just over his older brother, but over seven older brothers. He was the eighth son. And that is significant because the number eight in the Bible is the number of a new beginning. God was going to do something new through David. What would you have done in this situation? I mean, God had told him that Jesse had a son that he was going to make a king. He's going to be the next king. Yet seven went right before him and he didn't select them. When God gives you a promise and it doesn't seem like everything that's in front of you fits what God told you, what do you do? Do you ask? Do you wait? Are you willing to dig a little deeper? And that's exactly what Samuel does. Samuel says, is there another son? And there was. There was David. Where's your David? Maybe you haven't seen it yet. Maybe seven things have passed before you. Yet what God has promised you is not part of those seven. You're confused, just like Samuel. But are you waiting on your David? Are you asking about your David? The other thing I want you to see is you may be like David. You may be regarded in a lower esteem. You may not be of an elite family. You may not have all the money. You may not have all the education. You may not have all the right credentials. But that doesn't mean that God can't choose you, that God can't use you. 
God knows about you. He knows the number of the hair on your head. God knows about you and he thinks about you more than the sands of the sea. God loves you and he will use you. If he's promised you or called you to something, no matter what regard others have about you, God will see it through just like he had already called David. I want you to hear this loud and clear. God often chooses unlikely people to do his work. And he does that so they'll know that it is working through God. It's God's work, not man's work. In 1 Corinthians 26, 27, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God chooses and uses people that the world doesn't see useful. God chooses and uses people to amaze the world. So they they see it's only God that can do that. So if you're listening to my voice today, I want you to understand God can use you even if you don't think God can use you. God has chosen unlikely people to be heroes in the Bible. And he does that because he knows that the world thinks they're unlikely to succeed. And everyone will know that God did it if they do succeed. And when they do succeed, God gets the glory and the blessing. God uses the useless. God gets the credit. God gets the glory. Time after time, we see this play out in the scripture. And God chooses the least likely and then does great things through them. And that's how God works throughout the Bible. So hopefully you're starting to see God's selection process, that God's choice is that man's choice. And so what do we see? They bring David in and David is chosen and anointed. Look at the last two verses, verse 12 and 13 with me real quick. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The Bible right here gives us a description of David. It says he was ruddy and his bright eyes and he was good looking. You know, this physical description, Davis tells us that he had a fair complexion. He was probably freckle faced. He had a light complexion, was considered attractive in that culture because that was different. It was unique. It says that he was ruddy. That meant he had red hair. He had bright eyes, which speaks of his vitality and his intelligence. And then it says that David was good looking. By the outward appearance, it looks like the seven other brothers would have been a better choice. But God says, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. See, David was a shepherd, but there were a lot of shepherds. David was good looking, but there were a lot of young men that could have been chosen. David was young, but God chose him. As a matter of fact, God chose him before this time. God describes David in 1 Samuel 13, 14. Remember when we studied that? It said, The Lord has sought for him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. What made David special over his seven brothers was that he was a man after God's own heart. And then it says that Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And what happened after that? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he was on him from that day forward. The real anointing was not just the symbolic anointing of the oil, but it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit that came into him. And then the Bible tells us that, And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And that's important, too. 
I want you to understand that Samuel didn't start a let's enthrone David. Let's get a political party started so that we can undermine Saul's throne and we can get David on up there. No, David was anointed king, but he needed to be established as king. Samuel probably took one look at David and he reacted exactly the way God wanted him to. Lord, I don't know why you chose this kid, but you will have to put him on the throne. I can't do it. I'm out of time, so let's close with this final thought real quick. Do you have a heart after God? Are you a person after God's own heart? Really, that begs the question, what does it really mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? It doesn't mean that you're sinless, but that you are seeking after God, that your heart is open to God, that you're submissive to God, that when you do sin, you quickly confess your sin and repent. It means that you are a man or woman of integrity that you have your whole heart before God and you allow him to have all your heart. We read in Psalm 78, 72, with an upright heart, he shepherded them and he guided them with his skillful hand. God chose him because he was a man after his own heart. And your heart is vital to your worship of God. Your heart is what really matters. Do you want to be useful to God? then work on your heart, work on your character, focus on your spiritual growth as a believer. And when you are ready and God is ready, he will use you. David was a man after God's own heart and he was chosen by God. David would rule his people well and his life would point forward to the Messiah, Jesus. He was a foreshadowing of Jesus. The son of David would come out of his lineage. Now, I love this passage because it teaches us how important biblical principles are to God and that we should look at God and be led by God. We in the world look at an outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It's what's on the inside that matters to God. God chose David as king over Saul because not of the outward apparel, but because of the heart that he had towards God. I pray today that you will learn to see the way God sees. I pray today that you will open your heart fully to God and be a person after God's own heart. And most of all, that you will not see yourself as worthless, but you'll see you as God sees you and that he can use you for a great work in his kingdom. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this lesson. Lord, we thank you that you show us through your word how you can choose people when we don't see it. You know, a lot of times we see things through man's eyes, but you see the heart. Lord, you saw the heart of David. He wasn't sinless. We will find out how he uh, committed adultery and how he also committed murder to hide up that. But Lord, he was quick to repent. Lord, a person after your own heart is someone that is quick to repent. It's someone that seeks after you every day. And as we read through the Psalms, most of those that David wrote, we see that he was a man after your own heart. How he tried to be close to you every day and walk in your spirit every day. Lord, I pray that people would understand from this lesson that that is what you want. You want us to be people with a heart after you. Lord, I pray right now if there's one that has asked you to be Lord of their life, but maybe they haven't given you really their whole heart. Maybe they're not a person after you, chasing after you, that they say, oh, I said a prayer, I've done what I've done, and now I'm, I'm okay. Lord, that's not it. Lord, it's not that we just pray a prayer, but that we start being sanctified on a daily basis and we get closer and closer to you every day. Lord, I pray for the right now that they would ask for forgiveness of what they've done and Lord, that they would ask to be closer to you. Lord, they would give all their heart to you. 
Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you at all. Lord, I pray that today they would give you all their heart. Lord, they would ask you to be Lord of their life. They would believe that you forgive them of their sin, that you did that when you went to the cross and you loved them enough that you went to the cross, nailed their sin to the cross, and you overcame death. Lord, I pray right now that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they will believe in their heart and they will confess with their mouth that you are Lord and they will chase after you. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, we thank you and we ask all this in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.